Cancer, checkup, can't afford. White and rich get it. My mother was black. Black poor people don't have the money to pay for it. Mad? Yes, I am mad. We were used by taking our blood and lied to. We had to pay for our own medical. Can you relieve that? John Hopkins Hospital and all other places. It has my mother's cells. Don't give her nothing. Deborah Lacks Pullum. Untitled. After the shimmer, Lena sits in the Southern Reach facility. Lomax in front of her, off screen. He just asked her, essentially, why she was the only one in her party to make it back alive. Lena, is this something something I need need to to explain? explain? Lomax, off screen. Yes, you do. Lena, I had had to to come back. back. I'm I'm not sure any of them did. Second 20 smash cut to black screen. Caption, The Lighthouse. And Crosby stills in Nash, helplessly hoping, plays again. Stand by the stairway. In his review of the film for the Globe and Mail, 21st February 2018, Barry Hertz references the use of this song as, quote, The most striking, shaking moment that has nothing to do with Area X or the perverted flora and fauna within it. Rather, it's when the film's spare score is interrupted by the folksy strains of Crosby, Stills, and Nash's Helplessly Hoping. Its drifting in and out of the soundtrack is partly a reminder of Lena's previous life, before Area X turned her world inside out. We hear CSN croon as she flashes back to goofy bedroom antics with her husband, military man Kane, and it provides a sonic backdrop for Lena once that love is lost and she's left at home, alone. But mostly the song is an artifact of pop culture normalcy in a world defined by aberration, which makes Helplessly Hoping and its deft employment the most alien thing in a movie obsessed with aliens, both figurative and literal. End quote. You'll see something certain. And we smash cut to Kane and Lena sitting on their couch. Second 25, angled past Kane on Lena. Both reading. Kane has a magazine. Lena has the UK paperback edition of Rebecca Sklutz, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. One could assume that Lena, as a biologist and teacher, knows a good portion of the story in that book. But maybe she does not. She works at Johns Hopkins, where Lacks gave birth to her youngest child November 1950, where Lacks sought treatment for a knot in her womb 29th January 1951. Lena may even have used HeLa cells, or lectured about their use. Ben Murphy, Pop Matters, 23rd January 2019, argues, beginning with reference to Lena's lecture at the beginning of the film, quote, The precision of employment in the film makes the early classroom scene seem rather strange. Not only would a class of medical students not need a primer on cell division, poetic as Lena's lecture may be, they would also no doubt be familiar with lax, especially if they are attending Johns Hopkins. Sklut's book has been adopted as the common read book or its equivalent for over 150 universities, Hopkins included, and Hopkins, among others, has become increasingly interested in memorializing and honoring the woman who was treated to questionable, at best, ethical and professional standards of medical care. Most recently at Hopkins, these ongoing efforts of recompense took the form of announcing the dedication of a university building to Lax, but earlier and ongoing forms include a series of university web pages dedicated to her story. Simply put, it's implausible that these students would be treated to such a vague reference to lax. Female patient. 
within the walls of the institution most immediately responsible for her now well-known and documented disenfranchisement. End quote. Minute four, Lena describes the cell on the screen simply, vaguely. The, the cell, cell we're, we're looking, looking at is from, from a tumor. tumor. Female, Female patient, patient, early 30s, 30s taken, taken from, from the, the cervix. cervix. Murphy continues, quote, Of course, much of annihilation is implausible, and for the most part that implausibility makes for a compelling viewing experience. In this case, what's more interesting than calling out the film's contextual naivete is the way that the classroom scene reproduces the very silence surrounding Lax that launched Sklut's book in the first place. In the opening pages of The Immortal Life, Sklut recounts her first exposure to the story of Lax. A biology professor mentioned her only briefly while explaining processes of cell replication and division. Like Lena in her Hopkins classroom, this community college professor wanted to communicate to students that cells are amazing things. Sklut's professor offered more background on Lax than Portman's Lena does in the film, as he went on to note that we know a lot about cells thanks to Henrietta, a name he wrote on the blackboard in enormous print. But this name, and the fact that Lax was a black woman in America, is all he offers to the class. When Sklut follows him to office hours, he provides a simple answer to her inquiries. I wish I could tell you more, he said, but nobody knows anything about her. End quote. Maddie Foley, Bustle, 22nd March, 2018, calls the inclusion of the book here a brilliant Easter egg. Quote, Henrietta Lacks was a poor black tobacco farmer who died from cervical cancer in 1951 at the age of 31. Her cells were collected without her or her family's consent following her death and they became one of the most important medical research tools in history, aiding in the creation of vaccines, gene mapping, and cloning. Lax cells, known simply as HeLa, live on in laboratories across the world and have been bought and sold by major corporations, all while her family remained in poverty, having never been given a cent of profit. It's a real-life horror story, one concerned with the violation of what makes us, well, us. If our cells are not our own, whose are they? End quote. Cecilia Knoll, Ms. Magazine, 5th April, 2018. Quote, In its own way, Annihilation is the story of lax cells. The shimmer is a rapidly growing tumor on the surface of planet Earth, filled with unimaginable horrors and wonders. Flowers fused with human hawks' genes grow humanoid silhouettes. Crocodiles with shark teeth wait in the flooded ruins of homes. Rainbow light streams into the prismatic atmosphere. A bear steals the voice of its prey before hunting down Lena's team. It is growth gone awry flowers and blood fused in human flesh. All this creation, as ghastly as it is lovely, is distinctly feminine. Unlike the entirely male teams before them, Lena's team enters the shimmer comprised of only women. Portman's biologist, Rodriguez's paramedic, Jennifer Jason Lee's psychologist, Tessa Thompson's physicist, and Tuva Novotny's geomorphologist. There's something distinctly badass about watching the team of five women cross marshlands with their backpacking gear and guns as they step into the shimmer. There's something even more badass about knowing that team is full of capable, yet complex characters that represent a range of femininity seldom seen on screen. Just as Henrietta's tumor cells were born from her womb, so the strange creations of the Shimmer seem born from a kind of womanhood. The characters' cells refract through the atmosphere of the Shimmer, merging with plant and animal life to create new horrors. End quote. But let us return to Murphy. Quote, while most of the Easter egg articles about Annihilation and Henrietta Lacks simply enact the I-spy trivia of identifying the female patient mentioned in the classroom, or of identifying Lena's reading material, which while we're on the subject seems to be the UK paperback edition, some accounts argue that the inclusion of Lacks is thematically significant. Indeed, one short essay argues that the muted inclusion of Lacks in the film clarifies everything. Elena Nicolaou explains in Refinery 29, 23rd February 2018, that the 
The immortal life of Henrietta Lacks shows up in Lena's hands for a very deliberate reason. The book signals that Annihilation will be a movie about life and the components that build life up. Nicolau here refers to another article she wrote about Annihilation that explores the film's uncomfortably ambivalent depiction of change, life, at the expense of the stable and the familiar. The key comes, Nicolau says in her Easter egg article, in the HeLa cells themselves, which are able to multiply indefinitely, even though other cells could not. HeLa represents a mystery of science on a granular level. What differentiates lax cells from all the rest? Nicolau is not alone in finding HeLa a fascinating key for annihilation. Cecilia Knoll, referenced above, relates rushing home from the theater to read her roommate's copy of The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. This reading experience shocked Knoll with the sociological horrors of Henrietta's fate, but it struck her primarily with biological curiosity. What happened, Knoll wonders, to Henrietta's tumor cells that made them immortal? Similarly, in a fascinating essay that actually doesn't mention Henrietta or her inclusion in the film, Matt Goldberg suggests, in Collider, 4th January 2019, that Annihilation is about cancer, specifically about the possibility of the Earth itself contracting cancer. As with Nicolau, the point is the magnificent ambivalence, the cold, uncaring horror of cancer, which, like H.P. Lovecraft's weird horror of old, lacks intention and cognizable meaning as it changes and destroys what we hold dear. Though Nicolau describes this element in terms of life and Goldberg of destruction, the two are arguably describing the same ahuman or inhuman force. Though these accounts do well to explore the thematic resonances across the film as they correspond to the biological miracle that is the HeLa cell line, or simply cancer, generally speaking, they actually undermine the impetus of Sklut's book to read The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, or to spot the character Lena reading it, and come away with an odd appreciation for the mysteries of biology is certainly understandable, since Sklut herself devotes pages to exploring just these mysteries throughout her account. But the problem, or perhaps simply the limitation, is that this odd appreciation once again evacuates lack from the story. To say, as Nicolau does, that the inclusion of the book is the key because Hela represents a mystery of science on a granular level, draws attention away from Sklut's primary mission, which was to burrow beyond Hela to tell a human story, largely a tragedy, which sprawled in excess of the granularity of science. Interpretations like Nicolau's enrich our understanding by making Hela primary in understanding the film, but shouldn't this understanding do more than merely acknowledge a female patient? What about Henrietta Lacks? Given that Garland's Annihilation focuses on a government research facility that gambles on the health and well-being of women in the name of advancing scientific understanding, it would seem that Henrietta's story, as opposed to just Hela's mystique, bears ample thematic resonance. Instead of settling with the idea that Garland relied on Hela Easter eggs to proffer a barely hidden explanation or key to the anomalous area known as the Shimmer, we might sit with the uncomfortable realization that such an interpretation actually mimics the instrumentalization decried throughout the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Lacks is again forgotten in the wake of what Gila can be seen to do or undo. End quote. In 1951, John Hopkins in Baltimore was one of the only hospitals in the area to treat poor African Americans. Henrietta Lacks, born Loretta Pleasant, had worked as a tobacco farmer in Virginia when she was younger. She and her husband Day lived in Baltimore County with four of their five children, including newborn Joseph. Daughter Elsie, who had developmental disabilities, had recently been placed in a hospital for the Negro insane. Henrietta was diagnosed, incorrectly, with a malignant epidermoid carcinoma of the cervix. It was actually adenocarcinoma, but that would not have changed her treatment. She was treated with radium tube inserts, brachytherapy, sealed radioactive capsules placed inside the body near the cancer and left there. 
While Henrietta was at the hospital, two samples of cells were taken from her cervix, healthy cells and cancerous cells. The cancerous cells remained alive, and the resulting HeLa cell line is still commonly used in biomedical research. 8th August 1951, Henrietta went to Johns Hopkins for a routine treatment session. She remained there until her death, 4th October 1951. She was buried in an unmarked grave. Van Smith quotes Henrietta's cousin, Clifton Garrett, in Baltimore City Papers, 17th April 2002. Quote, Clifton Garrett did know Henrietta, though, and remembers her fondly. She was just an average child, a nice, friendly girl and everything. That's all I can tell you. We would play out in the yard, go to school. Going to Clover School, which was for black children and offered instruction through 7th grade, meant a two-mile walk, taking shortcuts through fields, forests, and backyards, and right past Clover Elementary School, then white only. Garrett still remembers the names of his teachers and the school's principal, and that the principal's son was killed during the attack on Pearl Harbor. Henrietta helped on the farm until she went up to Baltimore, Garrett says. That happened in 1943, a short while after her husband moved there for work for Beth Steele. Garrett moved north, too, for a job at Beth Steele making nails in the wire mill. After I got grown, then I went up there. A lot of people from around here did. There were company barracks to stay in, so we used to live in Sparrows Point until we moved to Turner Station. Henrietta's husband, David, worked on the shipyard. He was a hard worker, and Henrietta, she was a nice lady. Nice as she could be. Very friendly. Very friendly she was. The dredged-up memories lead Garrett to muse aloud about how some part of his cousin still thrives. Her cells are still living, he says, gazing at the ground near her grave. He shakes his head. She's dead, but her cells are still living, he says again, and then is silent. End quote. We must not see any person as an abstraction. Instead, we must see in every person a universe with its own secrets, with its own treasures, with its own sources of anguish, and with some measure of triumph. To tell you. Second 29, angle from behind the couch. Flat screen TV on an antiqued table to the left of a brick fireplace. Kane looks from his magazine to Lena. Confusion has its cost. He puts his head back. Love isn't lying. Kane, hey. Lena turns and looks at Kane. Second 40 return to the previous angle, past Kane on Lena. It's loose in a lady who lingers. Beat. Lena, hey. Saying she is lost. Second 43, reverse, past Lena on Kane. The left edge of his mouth moves slightly. Not quite a smile, but something like it. Smash cut to Lena, alone, in the woods, bent over, wailing. A single organism, alone on planet Earth, perhaps alone in the universe. She brings her left hand up to her brow. Camera moves slightly, handheld. Lena stands straight, still crying, starts to look around, taking in the tumorous growths on the trees, perhaps, the prismatic rays of light scattering through the trees, and time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside.
Salvation is all we are. 